Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk uh, technology, computing, the internet, um, National Cyber Week even. That will be a thing tonight. Um, tonight, uh, behind the desk, we have Dan Salmon. Good evening. Um, how has your week in technology been, Dan? My week in technology has been uh, pretty good, I think. I mean, I'm just so happy to be able to leave the house. It's uh, That's all I can think about right now. Um, but I'm I'm using my technology a lot to uh, to take photos and post it on the various socials. So uh, I, I'm enjoying my technology. Oh, here's me with a tree. Here's me 25 kilometres from my house. 25.1. <laughs> Sneaky. Yeah. It's a big tree. <laughs> I did. I did spot somebody from I know lives in Fitzroy, and I, I spotted from their photo they're about thirty kilometers from Fitzroy in the photo. And I was like, "Hey, that's that's a BG for twenty five And they're like, "Yeah, twenty two point nine." I'm like, "Yeah, it's not sure." <laughs> no, 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 no one's breaking any laws. No, didn't say it. Maze Wallen as well. How are you, Maze? I'm good. Um, we we've released a Halloween patch on one of the games I'm working on, and that's been going really well. So that that's my Week in tech so far, um, pretty positive. Yeah, I feel like I could talk about that for half an hour. Can you give me the the ten second summary of your Halloween patch for your game? What what is that? <laughs> um, well, there's the the balloons. Um, that you know, this is a, a shooter, obviously. Um, balloons have been replaced with pumpkins, uh, which have got amazing juicy pumpkin sounds, and mm. there is a new secret secret robot. Could you give us an impersonation of the pumpkin sound? <laughs> How does a pumpkin sound? It's well, it's just a very juicy. Like I could just have some close, like mouth sounds or something. <laughs> that's, that's genuinely terrifying. That, happy Halloween, everyone! That was absolutely terrifying. I mean, someone had to make that. I was imagining somebody in a in a soundproof booth going. I made it out of um, wooden cardboard and um, some chicken guts in sauce that I had uh, in a library. So it's a few Mm. layers put together. (laughs) Um, Chicken guts in sauce. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds sounds a fair start to the week. Um, I'll be doing okay too. I'm Warren Davies. Um, My week in tech... Our, our website went down. We had a new record of uh, a 28-hour outage. I feel like our previous record, I absolutely smashed it. It's, it's only ever been down for five or ten minutes, and then we had to move everything in bits, and then we hit up against a, a service that doesn't provide good customer service, and I had to provide about 300 points of ID just to claim my domain, um, which took nice. 95% of that 27 hours. <sighs> yeah, That sounds horrific. Um, but no, it's back up and I've fixed it myself. I shouldn't be doing that, but I fixed it myself. So I feel pretty happy about that. Good on you. Adapting. Yeah. Adapting. No, that's, an, that's an achievement. Fixing, <laughs> fixing anything yourself is an achievement. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Well, I put a big, I put a big like 200 word explanation of the issue in Slack for somebody else to fix it. And then I checked it again and it was fixed and I was like, ah, oh, delete. <laughs> um, so it felt good to do that. Um, it is a stonking good show tonight. Uh, as I mentioned, we have a bit of a, a Cyber Week theme. Um, so uh, 
we got, I guess, two ways into that, um, but it is sort of generally placed around around that idea. Uh, we're having a chat with Cyber Week CEO uh, Michelle Price um, in, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, and Michelle's going to talk through uh, what's been going on, uh, what's interesting. So definitely stick around for that. Um, also, uh, Linda Kavanagh, uh, who's the National Node Manager, um, working as part of uh, Missing Persons uh, Hackathon, um, which is part of Cyber Week uh, 2020, um, will be uh, on later in the show as well. So um, that'll be interesting. Very excited to hear about that. But uh, before those two things, uh, we do have some other things, uh, mostly news. And I think, um, Maze, you, you've been looking at um, uh, COVID-19, which um, is yeah. cast a long shadow over this year, um, and affecting digital inclusion. Is that right? Yeah. So we've had guests on the show before talking about um, uh, kids transitioning to having to be school at home and what sort of um, difficulties have resulted from that. And one of them is access to tech. Um, so there's a few programs around the country that send dongles and laptops out, and that's what we've covered on the show. Um, but now the digital inclusion, Australian Digital Inclusion Index have released a study really outlining um, how, what sorts of people have been really affected um, by COVID. And it does sort of boil down to two main um, kinds of people. So there's uh, low-income family households, um, especially regionally, um, people who, you know, don't really have computers and things at home, um, and especially kids' education now. And then also for um, older older Australians who are now suffering from isolation and loneliness and those sorts of things, not being able to get out of the house. Um, so during COVID, uh, improvements in access have been slowed. Um, these sorts of programs that would usually be trying to um, engage these people haven't been as easily rolled out now that the, now that the access is already online. <laughs> Um, so I think it's great to actually get a study of this out, um, even though, you know, we're starting to open up, but who knows when this will happen again, when our next wave will be, or even, you know, whether internationally, um, they can use some of the studies that we've got now. How could we kind of buttress against this, do you think? Like what's a, a good, um, a good set of practices or policies to focus on for, for the next year or two to, you know, hypothetically, if this happens again in a couple of years? I mean, I think that our guests are going to be talking a little bit about that this evening. Mm. So stay tuned. <laughs> stay, stay tuned. Um, Scott Morrison, um, <sighs> Dan, you, you watch the man closely and you I do. have something that you want to talk about. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Look, I'm... I'm, I'm um... I'm not going to say a fan, but uh, look, it's <laughs> it's it's interesting to um, hear uh, him talk about the federal government's uh, push into a digital economy. Now, when we who you know perhaps are a bit more tech savvy talk about digital economy and that kind of thing, we might be looking at boosting Australia's tech sector. That's not what this federal government's push into the digital economy is all about. So he um, addressed the Australian e-commerce virtual summit. Uh, earlier this week, um, and or late last week even, and um, basically said it's more about getting existing businesses onto digital rather than actually fostering any kind of you know Silicon Valley in Australia. Which I'm not surprised that that's uh, the thought, but it is a little bit disappointing that you know we've 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 seen such a huge brain drain um, of you know people in Australia who could be doing great things here, going and working 
maybe not physically in you know other countries, but certainly remotely um, in other countries to kind of build their tech sectors. And um, you know, we're we're just we're just not. It's not a priority for our federal government. Um, you know, it's nice to see. You know, he's he's, I suppose, uh, encouraging people to adopt and take it on board and making it work. Um, but look, uh, I, I I don't know, guys. What do you reckon, Maze? I know that you you work remotely for a company overseas. I do. Yeah. Yep. I mean, is, is, is this a surprise for you that you, the uh, federal government isn't supporting, um, you know, local tech? No, not at all. I think, like, you know, in, in games, they've got this weird dichotomy where they keep asking for international companies to come down here. They're like, oh, you know, we'll support you once you get some AAA studios down here. And then we say, there's no reason for them to come down here. But then they say, well, then your industry is too small to support or whatever. And it just goes round and round. Um, But I wonder if you could spin this in a, you know, if the general community does engage with tech more, will the people push this up a bit more rather than a top-down I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe what we need is for there to be an Australian built and based, um, I don't know, indispensable service that everyone uses that, you know, is an Australian business. I don't know. Am I describing a Lassian? Like... Really, why? Yeah, I don't want to say let's get Mike Cannon-Brooks on the case, but it seems like when he has an idea, stuff gets done. I feel like if you put me in charge of Australia.com, I could make it very hard to get into that place <laughs> based on my experience this week. What, Australia or Australia.com? Just I'm Australia.com. Here, I'm here. It's pretty yeah. hard to get into Australia. Yeah, it is true. I think, I mean, Mesa's point is interesting there. And, and to your point, Dan, is it is it actually a place? Um, um, and potentially ScoMo could um, have uh, luck on his side here, as he often does, where um, – we don't necessarily need to have a destination, and we've kind of been learning that in the past six months. So long as Australia is deeply integrated with the tech community in the way that you know Maze is with with um, uh, the companies she's working with, um, we don't have to create a postcode. We don't have to have that you know the thing that New South Wales and Victoria loves doing, which is we've set up a place, we've set up a hub. Mm-hmm. You know, we've spent millions of dollars making a googly Facebooky thing, as um, uh, uh, um, uh, as we'll talk about a little bit later in the show, I think. Um, but I guess the main thing is still still sort of infrastructure though is that yes. you know Australia's Australians and for me you know with audio being such huge file sizes it can't like that's such a simple thing oh I work in audio my files are big that means my work is slower yeah like <laughs> it's, yeah I mean it's, that's it you know mm. yeah it's it's in, it's interesting it, I mean, maybe this is a simplistic view on it. Is like we don't want to we don't want to uh, replicate. I feel like replication and duplication is a huge problem as well. Like everyone having like parallel pipes and so forth. But mm-hmm. we definitely need to have the capacity, the ability, the intention to do the best work in the world. And sometimes that means a place. Sometimes that means uh, the infrastructure. I don't know. It's kind of. I mean, this is this is a view on something that was said perhaps flippantly and without much consideration for how we need to make progress as a as a country and what we've learned in the past six months, but I don't know. Dan, keep your boot on his neck, mate. I'll, I'll, I'll do what I can. <laughs> um, I, I've been looking at something else. Um, uh, it's not a, a, an area I have a, a great deal of expertise in, but um, I, I do use TikTok a lot. I have been loving it. And one of the um, 
one of the alarming things that's been going on is uh, stories come up around uh, um, deep fakes, which um, a lot of you would know, which is basically um, creating um, a synthesis of a person or, or a series of people um, into a, a, a convincing um, a video uh, or avatar, I guess, however you want to describe it. Uh, naturally, the idea of deep fakes um, is attractive to people who work in porn, uh, being able to manipulate uh, images, bodies, people, uh, what's real is, is part of, um, of what pornography is about. Um, we came across a story where um, uh, TikTok influencers, um, it's quite a young site, about, I've just noticed here about a third of users uh, uh, are under 14, which is definitely true, um, it's used that way, um, have been easy targets for uh, people creating deepfake porn, um, which is basically lifting someone's likeness, videos, uh, uh, performance, um, however you'd like to sort of refer to it, uh, and creating porn from it. Um, the story actually came up because uh, Rolling Stone uh, mag in the USA noticed a, a thing was happening like this. They got in contact with um, a particular um, uh, Discord server um, specialising in, in deepfake pornography and said, hey, by the way, do you know this is happening? And, and many of the users here are, um, you know, 14 or younger, um, and it's a problem. So um, it was actually taken down, which is a great result. Um, so it's interesting. I, I think one of the surprising things to me reading some of the comments from TikTok users was just how um, not uh, uh, um, concerned with that per se, but um, just kind of saying, hey, we understand this thing happens and can you please not do it here? Um, I don't know. I, I, haven't, I haven't had much experience with deepfakes. It's not stuff that I go looking for. Um, that's, that's not part of my sort of weekly media diet. So I've literally come across zero. Have either of you come across many deep fakes? Is it something that you look at and go, that's that's interesting? I think the technology is amazing. I think how it's being used, especially right now in, in this context, is awful. Mm. Yeah, I think what's interesting to me is uh, um, that sort of stuff making it onto these really mainstream platforms like Discord and TikTok mm. um, and how that's sort of dangerous. And you know, you mentioned censorship um, when we were talking about how to approach this story earlier. And, you know, Discord have um, been shutting down servers um, that have been fostering communities that they find uh, offensive um, or, or dangerous. And, you know, these servers aren't actually that easy to find without sort of invasion of privacy as well. So, yeah. I guess it's one of those. For me, that's where the conversation is. Hard to, hard to, very hard to ferret this stuff out, and um, it's hard to do correctly, hard to do easily, hard to do ethically. Yeah. In terms of privacy, interesting. We'll keep an eye on it. Um, there's a lot to unpack here. We might even just post a, a, a tweet to the story if anyone's got any uh, interesting takes on this or, or sort of um, is across it. Um, like to hear your point of view. Um, Cyberpunk 2077. Again, I've got yeah. absolutely no idea. I'm going to pass it to you, Maz. Well, you know, it's another case of angry gamers. Um, no. And in oh, surprise, um, and crunch culture within within the games industry and and within software in general. So, Cyberpunk 2077 is um, made by CD Projekt Red, um, who's a studio with offices all over the place. Um, and they've announced their third delay um, just this morning, our time. Um, this studio and this game have been coming up again and again over this year as they 
um, sort of experiment with being a bit more transparent with their audience as a AAA game. And uh, by AAA, I mean, you know, big budget um, Hollywood, you know, at least at least $200 million budget, probably way more than that. Um, and, you know, they have been sort of controversy after controversy this year. So part of it um, was a whole lot of workers came out and said, you know, we're being crunched to death here. What's going on? Um, can we change this? And, you know, this is becoming really open, this sort of discussion as game workers unite and unite, unionisation around the world is um, bubbling away. Then the studio um, said, all right, there's going to be a delay because we've decided to be anti-crunch. Um, and then... Uh, between that, they released some marketing with some really transphobic images within the game, and so then all of this happened, and they released a lot of really bad statements about that. Then they backpedaled and said, "Look, we have to delay again, um, but don't worry, we're crunching away to get this game out for you." And it was like, "Who are you talking to anymore?" <laughs> um, but all right, all right, another delay. Yeah, we know. We know all big corporations make their workers crunch fine, you know, whatever. We didn't believe you in the first place. And then our third delay today. Um, around dev circles, there's been a lot of like, you shouldn't have announced a deadline. You shouldn't have announced a launch date. Like, <laughs> we don't do that anymore because the gamers get really angry. Um, and around the gamers, there's a lot of... Uh, Thoughts of, look, I understand, understood your last delay, but I don't understand this one. Lots of people who've been taking time off work for this game, which I don't understand, but, you know, sometimes hobbies are really important. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a big drama. But I think it's it has been interesting to see what happens when a AAA company, a big corporation, tries to be more transparent with an audience that is notoriously very entitled and toxic. Yeah. Indeed. Seems like they did the right thing. I, I, if I was in that yeah. situation, I'm just kind of thinking, like, why didn't they just Beyonce it and just kind of, like, drop a thing out of nowhere and people are like, oh, my God, it's Lemonade, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, that's what Nintendo has started to do is just, like, we're, here's a game we're not telling you the launch date until a week beforehand. And I think, I think that's, really that's great. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. It is Cyber Week uh, here across Australia and indeed wherever you would like to tune into it. Um, cyber Week is, uh, I guess, a, an exploration of uh, all of our innovation and interesting ideas in cyber technology. Um, but someone who can explain it much better and indeed uh, dig into it is Michelle Price, who's the CEO. Uh, Michelle joins us uh, on the phone now. Um, Michelle, how are you? G'day. Well, I'm well. Thank you for having us on on this really auspicious occasion. Like, congratulations, team, <laughs> for being in the studio <laughs> when you can be at the pub. <laughs> um, well, yeah, maybe we'll do both. I think Dan's going to be there later. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll beat a trail over the over the north side. Um, but yeah, we're excited to to talk about um, uh, what the week um, means. It's the the fourth fourth such occasion. Um, what's exciting about this year for you? What are you um, most um, thrilled about? 
Oh, gosh. Okay, we've got over 30 events going on around the country. And probably the most exciting thing is that because of the pandemic, the gift that keeps on giving, uh, you know, we've we've actually, of course, like everybody else, had to figure out a way to do this online. And we've gone from having, I guess, uh, across the week, around about 12 events uh, last year to audiences of up to 400 to now having over 30 events some of which are being delivered in hybrid mode, you know, sort of socially distanced uh, in rooms that have beaming in people from, you know, through digital forms. Uh, and, you know, the one of the events that we ran this morning that, you know, we can talk about is a hypothetical around a significant cyber attack affecting the nation as a whole. And we had almost uh, 680 people in just that one Ooh. event alone. So... Uh, and tomorrow, which, you know, Linda is here to talk about National Missing Persons Hackathon, uh, that hackathon's going to see over a 1,000 people be involved in that around the country. So, you know, if, if we need to take some good things out of the pandemic, of course, technology is one of the things that's coming into its own, and cyber technology is a really important part of that, and everyone's really interested now. So we've got huge audiences turning up for our events. Can I ask a very specific technical question about this hack, uh, this hack uh, security kind of um, breach simulation? For all the journalists, sub-editors, um, uh, tech writers out there, was there anybody in the room in a hoodie actually <laughs> hacking something? Let's put, let's put this to bed. Well, the short answer is no, not in the room, but I feel like there could have been more than half the audience <laughs> tuning in in their hoodies, that's for sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> just, just, just checking. We haven't busted that. Um, so what was it like? Was there like a scenario and people were, what happened? Yeah, so we ran it as a hypothetical. So we made it really, really clear at the beginning just to make sure that all of the policymakers out there and the lawyers didn't kind of get on edge that we're about to kind of foreshadow something that could be going on in the background for reals. Uh, but it was a hypothetical, so not an exercise, uh, not a debate, uh, not a sort of just straight out conversation. It was a proper hypothetical where we stepped up the severity of the scenario through three phases in the conversation. And uh, I was the one that was moderating, so I got to read out the drama. Uh, and we had a panel of experts across all different types of industries that were giving their views around what would be happening in each step of those scenarios uh, in the scenario, but also uh, where, where do we go from where we are today to prevent something like that happening at each step along the way. And we actually did it through the eyes of a family. Uh, so a family where, um, you know, mum and dad, mum running um, a business of aged care services, dad working in government, teenage daughter in year 12 and two-year-old son who was immunocompromised and 80-plus-year-old uh, grandmother who was there to look after the family during this really hectic time. So, you know, trying to really see that through the average everyday Australian household was really important as well. Did everybody make it through okay? Well, <laughs> unfortunately, Hugo, our two-year-old, uh, he, he had to go to the doctor quite a few times. Uh, Ruby, the grandmother, actually did contract COVID during the situation, and so the whole family had to go into lockdown. Uh, Lu Lucia's uh, business actually almost went under. In fact, she actually ended up going into voluntary administration but was able to scrape the business back from, from termination. Uh, and poor old James, who was, you know, in task force after, after task force in government, was not around very much to support the family. So the family kind of really did only kind of scrape by the skin of their teeth, really. I feel like there's a lot of, uh, lot of sessions on my gov there, by the sound of it, which probably would, would stay up. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, by the time we got to the end of the scenario, which is where the sort of, you know, the stock exchange was actually starting to be affected, uh, that, you know, confidence in Australia's credit rating was going down uh, and that infrastructures across concurrent section uh, sectors outside of health were starting to be affected as well, that 
uh, yeah, I think that um, you know it was it was really interesting to see the reactions of of the panelists around the detail of all of that. Um, but yeah, you know, we really did take it to a level that is actually feasible, as much as it's not going on right now. Pretty good simulation. I, I'm, I'm interested to know: um, it, it, did, did you have uh, tracks or, or particular themes? I, I think the first thing I'm always interested to know is we were talking about it earlier on with Scott Morrison talking about you know we don't have to lead the field; we just have to adapt and go with the flow. Are, are we are we leading the field in terms of cybersecurity? Are we going with the flow? Are we just following best practice? What, what's a um, uh, a good signpost for where we're at in 2020 in, in terms of cybersecurity? Yeah. So the technical term, Warren, is lumpy. <laughs> so we've got some areas Wonderful. of the economy that are actually doing this pretty well. Um, and it would not surprise you that they are the regulated sectors of the economy, financial services, telcos, parts of the energy sectors, parts of the health industry uh, are actually doing quite well because they have to under law. But the rest of the economy is actually kind of struggling a fair bit with the complexity of cybersecurity. And then on the flip side of that, of course, because over the past five years, there's been such a dramatic increase in demand for cyber products and services, we actually really do have a flourishing cybersecurity industry in Australia now. And that's what our job at Cyber is to do, is to actually support the growth of that industry uh, and make sure that not only are we helping to defend against malicious attackers, we're also creating jobs and revenue uh, by being globally competitive in it as well. So we actually think that, uh, you know, within the next couple of years, Australia really can be in the top five providers globally of cybersecurity products and services. And of course, like most things in technology, listeners would know this all too well in Australia. Uh, we end up often having to go offshore to prove ourselves before we get uh, proven at home. We're also working really hard at Cyber to get uh, governments and big business to be buying from our own as well. Mm. What, what are the what are the three most common issues that that most Australians, either your family, that sort of came up uh, against it in the in the simulation? What are the three most common things that we come up against, and and how can we better prepare for some of those things? Yeah, so one of the most common things that comes up straight away is that people are scared. They're really scared of the complexity uh, and think that they need to have a PhD in, you know, the ones and zeros of cybersecurity to be able to respond effectively to a cyber attack. And that, of course, is not the case. There are sophisticated actors out there. There's no two ways about that. Uh, the Prime Minister, of course, has been talking about that recently, uh, that nation states are getting active against Australia, and they have been for a long time now. But um, I guess the other sort of link to that is a very common um, issue around how we get the basics of cybersecurity right, which is referred to often as cyber hygiene. It really is about the simple things of having passwords uh, that are complex uh, and that are unique to every instance of whatever you're doing online. Um, but also being conscious of the kinds of technology that you are buying. Uh, and I think the third area is, is recognising that trust is so important in this equation. And you've hinted at this already in the, um, in the discussion on the show today. And, you know, trust in our digital technologies and the data that it carries is becoming a really, really big issue. And it collides straight into all of the issues that we've been dealing with as a community over the past several years around privacy and the relationship between security and privacy. So, so where, where do you think we, as I suppose a broader society, sit in terms of that? And I guess it does, you know, come back to the discussion we were having earlier about digital literacy. What, what's your assessment of where we're at and how much work do you think we still need to do? Great question, Dan. So I think, um, you know, there's, there's been a dramatic increase in the awareness of cybersecurity, mostly thanks to the media actually talking about, uh, you know, the different kinds of things that are going on that impact um, our cybersecurity and digital trust. 
in terms of understanding what that actually means for our daily lives, we actually really do have a long way to go. I guess the upside to that, though, is that we're not alone as a nation in that. Almost every country around the world is struggling to have their whole population understand the true implications, but also opportunities of cybersecurity and privacy and understanding the relationship between the two. So in terms of globally where we sit, you know, our estimation is that we're sitting in the top 50%. Um, and then when you sort of get contextual and look at across different parts of the uh, community, you know, sort of older Australians versus very young Australians versus us, you know, sandwiched generations, um, you know, and then you sort of apply that across different sectors of the economy. It really is highly contextual. Like I said before, there's some that are very advanced, but there's a, the bulk are not particularly advanced. So we've got to help each other to be able to step up on this and deepen our understanding about the value that we need to assign to digital trust. Mm. If, if people want to um, sort of check it out, uh, I realise it's it's a week and there's probably just a, a couple of days left to go. Um, can people still get involved? Are there sessions open? Are there tickets paid or free available? Um, what's the sitch? Yeah, so uh, everything in Cyber Week is free. Uh, the only, well, actually, bar one thing, which is our National Missing Persons Hackathon, uh, which Linda will talk to in a moment, obviously, um, which actually the hackathon is sold out, but everything else is free. Uh, and people can jump onto the website, which is cyberweek.ostcyber.com, to be able to sign up and jump into our circuit board city where you can engage with all of the sessions and do the networking across all of the cyber people that can help you to answer any questions that you might have. Absolutely. That sounds like a great way to uh, to learn a whole lot more about something that really is kind of pertinent to our, our, our online lives. Uh, Cyberweek CEO Michelle Price, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me, especially on today. Go forth and enjoy you Melbournians, oh, please. We will. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. I'm excited to be talking about um, uh, another part of uh, Cyber Week, um, which is going on uh, all this week, um, specifically in Australia, but I guess you can get into it from a, a few places. Um, we are joined now by uh, Linda Kavanagh, who's a uh, national node manager for uh, Missing Persons Hackathon, um, which is uh, a mashup of two things that I like, um, thinking and working quickly and helping people who need it. Um, Linda, thanks for taking time out to, to have a chat with us tonight. No, thanks for the invite. Much appreciated. Uh, the hackathon, is it, uh, is it tomorrow? Is it later in the week? It's on tomorrow in about 14 hours. Uh, not, not that, that I'm counting. counting. <laughs> have, have you got a big night? Are you pulling an all-nighter just to be ready for this thing? <laughs> yeah. How about? ready are you? Well, can I just say we're still at the venue at the moment, just finishing the setup for Hackathon headquarters. And, yes, there's still a little bit more paperwork that needs to be done before I even look at uh, getting home and going for sleep. So I'm just pumping on adrenaline at the moment. Ooh, so before we let you go home and sleep then, um, <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about what uh, the point of this particular hackathon is? Where, where, where are we going with it? Okay, so we, there are a, a couple of missions here. The first overall mission is we want to be able to assist law enforcement in being able to uh, open a cold case or to solve um, a, an existing missing person case. And we're doing that by actually crowdsourcing. Um, so we're bringing tomorrow uh, 635 participants together uh, to basically search um, and scour the, the 
the surface web and the dark web to have a look at what information we can actually submit to law enforcement. Uh, the second element to this, um, other than just bringing everyone together to crowdsource information on the cases, is we're actually using this as an opportunity to upskill um, a, a large section of our community in open source intelligence, give them an understanding as to um, being cyber aware, have a better understanding of the digital footprint, um, but also look at encouraging them into a cyber security career. Hmm. Is it, um, does it have a, a law and order focus? Uh, is it, um, uh, are they deeply involved here? Are you encouraging people sort of by design of the hackathon to, to work with um, uh, you know, law and order agencies? Is that effective? Does it work? I, I kind of, uh, the reason I ask, I was looking at a, um, it's a short digression, I promise. I was looking at the DARPA balloon challenge from 2010, um, I think yesterday, and they um, basically did a real-world geocache where they put 10 balloons across continental USA, didn't tell anyone where they were, and then said, hey, everybody, we need to find these balloons. Can you do it? And an MIT team did it in seven hours with no clues as to where these things were. They just did a, a social challenge. Um, so I kind of imagine when you start from a place of goodwill and I guess a bit of silliness like that, everyone just jumps in and has a go. Um, is that true also of we need to find these people and the people who find these people are, are security agencies, if, if that's what you're doing? Um, yes, look, it, the, it's actually a partnership between OSCYBER, the Australian Federal Police, uh, the National Missing Persons Coordination Centre and uh, a Canadian not-for-profit organisation called Trace Labs. So we're actually working very closely with the Australian Federal Police and other policing jurisdictions to be able to um, bring together missing person cases that they need assistance on. Um, you know, your general duties, uh, police officer or even your investigator, your detective, yeah, they have some absolutely fantastic fantastic uh, tools, skills, resources, but cyber isn't necessarily one of them. Um, and whereas they may spend a little bit of time, you know, going through uh, online sources that they need to, here we have um, a whole group of people who want to complement their traditional policing methods um, and use their skills and use it for good um, and feel accomplished at the end of it. That's that's re really kind of I suppose interesting, Michelle. Why why is it? Well, sorry, Linda. Why is it that um, it's I guess taken this long? Like I mean, th th things things are you know online cult, online existence has been around for a very long time. Is it, it feel it feels like it's it's the, it's the bit behind the eight ball in terms of utilizing this kind of stuff to find missing persons, you know. But, Look, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 exactly right. Look, that's a, you know, completely common sense question. And to be honest, when this idea came up last year um, for myself, I just saw an article um, and thought, oh, wow, how great would it be to use a CTF? Because we actually use a cybersecurity challenge method to deliver this, which is called Capture the Flag. Um, and we use that as part of the challenge on how to um, source that information on missing persons. And when I saw it, I went, oh my God, this is fantastic. This is cool. And it wasn't until later on that I thought, 
why don't we do that? Why can't we do that? Particularly with off-cyber, we're all about exploring new methods, different ways to do things, challenging things, you know. Um, so bringing this here, yes, look, it did take a little bit of effort with with the Australian Federal Police, not a lot. Um, obviously, you can probably imagine the minute I, I mentioned the word ethical hackers, uh, that was when uh, they went, oh, not 100% sure. <laughs> but once we actually explained it to them as to what the purpose is and how this was actually going to assist them and assist the community, um, they were completely on board. Um, I'll just also add, last year was the first year we did it. This is the second year. So, yeah, th there was a lot of apprehension by uh, law enforcement going, oh, not 100% sure what we're getting into. We had them at all the events. They were there um, as uh, advisors for us as well, those that could support the, the, um, support the participants. But this year they were jumping on board. Like, it was like, when's the next one happening? When's the next one happening? And they really took the time to look at the cases that they really needed assistance on. So they're really getting some um, some value out of this. So with a lot of um, hackathons that are, that are run by government, um, we get a whole lot of data sets and things like that to work with, to make apps and things. But the very nature of this is that that's not as easy to access. So what what sort of things are people hacking into? <laughs> okay, so I'll just it, we call it a hackathon, um, but it's it's actually a hybrid between the CTF um, model and uh, a hackathon. So with the hackathon, we're, we're actually trying to uh, you know find a solution to a real world problem, and the CTF is just the delivery of that me method where we've gamified this. So there are categories for for the flags, but each of those categories are based on OSINT. So it could be about um, you know the last known location, it could be about family, it could be about about friends, those sorts of things. Bringing it together, we're actually using real data uh, in real time for a real impact. So, yeah, Maze, I completely agree with you. A lot of hackathons, you know, might not actually have that access to open government information, but here um, they're actually utilising open source databases. They're, you know, using CCTV footage. They're, they're trawling through YouTube, you know, an hour, two, three hour YouTube looking for a number plate, looking for a piece of information that they can pivot from to then um, look at developing a new profile or moving to another person. So you'll find, we find that social media is probably where they get the majority of their information from. Facebook is probably the more prominent at about 50% of submissions that come through. But in saying that, last year we had drone footage. Um, we actually had uh, revenue streams by a missing person that was uh, through an online account. So these are things that police um, haven't had the ability to find. And they have said to us last year, we submitted 3,912 pieces of information to them and out of that 40 were absolutely brand new that they hadn't even uncovered through their investigations so that's a really great um, achievement for an event for the first time so this year you know um, as we say in Ossiba game on we've maximized it and we're hoping to um, get some really great outcomes. Uh, Linda in, in that intervening year between last year and this year did the AFP or any other law enforcement agencies kind of take some of the stuff on board that they had learned and kind of applied it in their day-to-day -day, or is it something that they're still kind of grappling with in, in, as to how they might build it into their processes as, as they exist already? 
No, def definitely. Look, and if you actually even uh, notice with um, earlier with the announcements in regards to uh, cyber security investment by the federal government, a lot of that has gone into the federal police. Um, and they are looking at um, having specific dedicated teams looking at cybercrime, looking at open source intelligence methods, tools and techniques. Uh, the advent of this event has allowed them uh, to open a, a, a door into this environment. So we've actually been able to introduce them uh, into companies that can provide these uh, products and services for them. And for example, last year we had uh, a company that was participating uh, Canberra-based company that deals with online digital footprints and they actually created a brand new program to trial specifically for the event which was on facial recognition across the dark web. Um, so these are the sorts of tools that are that law enforcement are interested in and that we as Cyber are able to do in supporting sovereign uh, uh, cyber capabilities. With those um, tools around you know facial recognition and things I the general public tend to be a bit like, you know, worried about this sort of um, uh, privacy and security and things like that. Where, where is the conversation around that sort of thing? Um, so, is, in respect specifically to the National Missing Persons Hackathon, um, risk in relation to privacy, uh, in relation to data, has been at the forefront of what we've done. Um, so, anything that is publicly available is 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 open source. So, it's not as if any of our participants are using methods uh, that are illegal or are actually conducting illegal activities that go behind paywalls um, or needing them to actually use. Uh, uh, you know, malicious methods to actually gain access for this. So we look after the welfare of our participants. We look after the missing persons cases. We do that with the permission of police. We do that with the permission of the families as well. And even in um, holding that much information, as you can imagine, in the cloud, we've, we actually have one of our sponsors uh, as the cloud host have uh, create a secure platform so that we don't attract the wrong people trying to hack into a hacking um, event, so to speak. So we've taken ultimate um, uh, opportunities to ensure that what we do is within the means of um, what our hackers can do and that police are also comfortable with, um, with what our participants do. Is there an element where um, you, you reach out to the public? I, I mean, I'm curious to know um, maybe firstly, where most missing people are found? Is there a, a common way that they turn up? Um, and does that involve just law enforcement or do you have to reach out to the public and seek support? And, you know, um, probably my, my only experience of missing persons is seeing things at train stations or, you know, um, in posters and, and so forth. And I'm sure you've got a, a digital equivalent of that these days as well. Um, yeah, how does cooperation work? And is there a, we find them this way and we find them that way, but we're also exploring other things such as what we're talking about now? Um, look, we only do this once a year. This is the second event, um, and we do it obviously for the for the specific purpose on specific cases. Uh, so missing people uh, and uh, those sorts of, uh, you know, it's, it's not a crime to go missing, um, but 
they are more for law enforcement to deal with, for police to deal with. We don't, we do passive recon um, in the sense of it's just open source intelligence. We can't contact family members. We, we can't, you know, like someone's Facebook page or, you know, befriend them in that sense. All it is is just intelligence. And we leave uh, the real police work to, to the police. So it's just complementary to their existing um, tools. Hmm. Interesting. What, what would you be really excited to see come out of this year? Like what's, you know, if you want to be selfish about it, what would you really love to see at the end of tomorrow? Um, to be selfish about it? Well, hold on. If uh, the professional side of me says to see a whole host of uh, new, eager, keen people people um, coming and um, attending, you know, the universities using uh, the, all the TAFEs starting to set into or starting to step into a cybersecurity career. Uh, the selfish side of me says, I just want that one crucial piece of um, information to be found by one of our participants tomorrow where we can just straight away have one of our police officers here at Hackathon headquarters straight away on the phone or in the car and off they go and that we can actually give um, some resolve back to family and loved ones. Absolutely. Um it's um a really really important thing that you sorry that I've choked up a little bit there. Um, <laughs> it, it it's a really kind of I suppose meaningful use of technology and you know every every now and then um, you know despite all of the stuff that goes on out in in tech you know you can see that it's actually um, I suppose you uh, used for good. I've, uh, can pe can people sort of observe what you guys are doing um, tomorrow? Is there, is there a way of uh, kind of getting involved if you aren't already registered? Um, yes. So we actually have a live stream because of the fact that, you know, we have had the pandemic, we've all gone online, um, but from the Hackathon headquarters, we will be live streaming. So if you go to cyberweek.ossiber.com, uh, um, go to the National Missing Persons Hackathon area and you can click on the live stream there and watch what is occurring during the day. So I will make um, make mentioned that we you won't actually be seeing live participants. Um, you know, we may pan across, but you'll find that we'll be providing a lot of engaging content, um, talking to the CEOs, talking to our sponsors, talking to the Missing Persons Advocacy Network, who, which is actually based out of Melbourne. We're actually donating 50% of our ticket proceeds to support them in their mission uh, in supporting the loved ones and the family ones. So, yes, log on uh, onto the live stream. You can watch us. And, um, Warren, just one thing in regards to the choking up, don't worry, I'm always choking up. I, I have goosebumps every time I think about this. But last year we had family members of one of our missing people attend and it was so hard to try and keep composed to talk to him when he's standing there seeing over 100 people in the room searching for his son and seeing pictures of his son and his um, wife and his family come up. It is really, really hard to, yeah, to deal with that. But like you said, it is a social good. Absolutely. Something really rewarding. Thank you so much for your time. We've been speaking to uh, Linda Kavanagh, the National Node Manager of the National Missing Persons Hackathon, which is happening tomorrow as part of Cyber Week. Thank you so much for your time, Linda. My pleasure. Thank you. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. 
If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Warren, we've got some stuff to talk about there. We do have um, uh, a couple of little things. Um, ooh, where to start? Melbourne University Accelerator Program uh, MAP20 Demo Day uh, is on. Uh, it's on November 4th, which I feel like is uh, next Wednesday um, from 5 p.m. Uh, you can register for free. Um, and do either of you two know anything about Melbourne Accelerator Program? I, I guess probably the name speaks for itself. Oh. Yeah, I think it, it used to be um, Melbourne Uni graduates only, but now it's open to everyone um, and all sorts of startups and, and ideas and things around that. Um, I've been to a couple of talks where they've really talked about social impact um, investment and things like that. Uh, yeah, it seems like a really a cool, a cool crew and a cool network and community that comes out of these sessions. Uh, yeah, this um, this time around, they've uh, been working on it for uh, five months or so. There's 45 guest speakers, um, 12 mentor dinners and fireside chats, 51 mentors. Um, <laughs> I had a, a funny story about mentoring. Um, I, somebody reached out to me from uh, through community radio, uh, one of our football crew, and said, hey, we're doing this awesome program. We need heaps of mentors. I whipped up <laughs> 10 mentors, and then all of our teams just folded before the thing even happened. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I spent but days, you tried. like where, where can I, where can I get these mentors? Um, and then yeah, some of them politely just kind of like faded away, going, "No, it didn't happen." You know, I didn't have a bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, finding mentors, look after your mentors. I guess is the message. Absolutely. Um, entrep- Ten entrepreneurs and residents, sixty-six virtual lunches. Um, this sounds awesome. So um, yeah, the demo day is on. It's on uh, next uh, November fourth from seven thirty p.m. around about this time next week um it's free um so if you look up uh, we'll tweet a link out um if you look if you head to hop in and look up or even just google map 20 uh, demo day uh, that looks pretty interesting um does anyone else want to um I, we, any other events or stuff? we've got 10 seconds left warren so i think we better uh thank linda okay. and michelle for uh, joining us tonight um, cyber week is this week get involved Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts. 